You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Break It Down Podcast, where I guess I do whatever I want to and you know, you guys get to, you guys come along for the ride. I enjoy that very much. It's going super good. I wouldn't even call this an experiment anymore. This is just part of something I do and I have a great time doing it. Today, uh, I'm, I sit down or have sat down already. Yes, I recorded this intro after the conversation. Um, I'm sitting down with my good friend, one of my best friends, Seth Studley. Seth and I grew up together in South Carolina. Um, known him since I was five. Parents know each other, everything. And he became the drummer for Emory when we first started. And then he left sometime after our first album. And... Uh, stayed here in Seattle where he lives now today and Seth wound up being a marriage and family therapist. Uh, he's a clinical therapist basically and he is now working on a podcast that I'm helping him with called the Stronger Marriages Podcast with his wife Melanie uh, and he and I that are doing a podcast that you can check that out right now if you want to go subscribe to it or hear a preview episode. The The, uh, the whole podcast launches on February 14th. That's Valentine's Day. And you can go to strongermarriages.com forward slash podcast or just find it on iTunes. You'll see what it's about. Uh, it's a high, highly produced documentary kind of style thing that traces uh, their marriage and a bunch of bad stuff that went on uh, in it. Very good. I'm getting ready to go out of town now. I'm getting, we're doing Emory shows next week. A lot of you guys know that already. So uh, we're playing a bunch of new songs, ones we haven't played ever before on tour. Uh, and we're working on new arrangements for a ton of our songs. So we're kind of rebuilding our electric set from scratch. I'm very excited to get out there and do that work. So I'm leaving just in a couple of days. I'm going to try and get another podcast in uh, this week before I leave. Uh, and I hope everybody will come see those shows. If you are anywhere near Nashville or Atlanta, come see Emory play for $7. Devin's going to be there. It's going to be a very special and really cool set. So I hope we can see everybody there. Now, we'll get right into here talking with Seth. He came in the studio and sat down and talked with me in person. It was great. We talk about, uh, I don't know, I'll let you see what we talk about. I won't hype it. Um, but uh, let me tell you about Loot Crate before I get going. Loot Crate's been sponsoring the show, and I'm very thankful to have them. They've been sending really kick-ass stuff to my house. I said this one before, but the coolest thing I got from them was last month, and I got a Superman a comic uh, issue number one is a reprint of it and what a great thing people have been asking me about it. it just sits in my house like on my coffee table and I can say man can you believe where Superman started look at this it's just a piece of uh, pop culture and memorabilia that adds to the value value of my house itself and they send all kind of good stuff um, that is like that like a uh, little toys and figures and stuff that makes you think and it's stuff that is from brands and pop culture stuff that you know and care about and a lot of it's nostalgic and it really I think it adds to the value of your house so if you're a bachelor or you have a, a house that's not decorated enough and you like anything with pop culture or even nerdy stuff get Loot Crate it'll freshen up your place there's no reason not to do it especially for what a good deal it is. They offer a, you know, they, they do this stuff for less than 20 a month. So whether you're shopping for the geek in your life or you are that geek, Loot Crate 
is the best surprise that you know is coming. And every month, there's a different theme and new exclusive stuff that you can only get through Loot Crate. So treat yourself, or better yet, get it as a gift for somebody else whose apartment could use some love. So let me tell you about this month. Uh, roll up your sleeves and get ready to celebrate some of pop culture's most put-together franchises. Uh, February February's hands-on theme is Build, and it features Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Batman, Lego Dimensions, and Tetris. And as always their monthly t-shirt and pin. Now, you've got till the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe to receive this month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, it's, it's all over. So so the 19th at 9 p.m. So make sure you head to lootcrate.com forward slash down and enter the promo code down, D-O-W-N, to save $3 off any new subscription today. So thank you, Loot Crate. All right, here we go. Let's talk to Seth. Thank you, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Just because I think I was like halfway drunk when I was doing it, and I was kind of nervous too. On the when you were on Bad Christian, that was like our tenth like episode like or something. The 13th, I think it was the thirteenth. Yeah. Um, and I, I I just can't. And and you you picked it up though. I remember you were like Seth. This sounds kind of serious, but you're just like making light of it. And <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. And it's just. Well, people know. deal all kind of ways with being in front of a microphone. It's it's insane. Yeah. It, you know, if you just look at it and pay attention and study the way people not you don't have to study, but it's it's so bizarre what using a microphone does to something in your psychology, and it's, it has to do with peer, fear of public speaking, I guess. Right. So there's the there's the technique of talk. You wouldn't even think technique of using a mic is a big deal, but whether you're here or here or inconsistent or just confident to talk in the thing versus hold it like Bob Barker or whatever, there's so much to it, but it triggers something in people if they're talking about... It's the same thing that's when somebody holds up a camera and you all of a sudden you think they're recording and now right. you start acting weird. Yeah. Uh, there's well, it, it, it exacerbates everything that maybe you're scared of. Yeah, it's just self con It's, it's got to right. be... The, it's a public speaking fear, but this re instead of seeing... Uh, 10,000 people or 30,000 people or 30 people, this represents not, that you're public speaking, essentially, right. just because there's a microphone here. So you feel all stilted and careful and weird and, you know, it just changes everything for people. But it's weird because uh, you don't even know how many people. So not only am I scared to talk to a lot of people, well, maybe it's is not it a million? Is it 10? Because you talk differently to 10 people versus 1,000 people versus well, Yeah, people. but probably the, the, the maybe the numbers don't even matter. It's like knowing that you're doing it and knowing that somebody else is listening to you intently. That's yes. what it is. Because if you have a microphone, it's not like you can have a side conversation over here in the corner or anything like that. It's like, okay, everything that I say, 10 people or 10,000 people is going yeah, going to be heard but, right now. But if you're around you and me and Toby are sitting here talking, I know you're very focused and intently listening to what I'm saying, but it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's I just, think it matters just to the person speaking talking in yeah. the microphone whether yeah. you're used to it or not yeah the microphone's but the, it's confusing because who knows how many people are listening even it's almost I, weirder than talking to a crowd because at least you know what the crowd so in the like. early in the early days or even even now since I'm starting to do this more I'm not thinking like oh is there 10 people listening to what I mm -hmm. say is there 20 oh no please not 30 yeah I better but, really do good but let me back you up on that if I weren't here you would 
Like, Liz, uh-huh. what if I say right now, you know what? I got to make a phone call. Just keep, just keep on going. Whatever oh. <laughs> now you will that, feel the pain. You that, will feel the fear yes, immediately. That would be, you go, um, excuse me. I, uh, well, you'll no, you get no, all weird. Okay. So, so, um, you want to try it? I'll split. No, you could. Act, well, I don't know what I would talk <laughs> I about to your listeners or not. You'd get but, real self-aware real quick. Is what I'm saying. Well, you would get self-aware, but I'm kind of used to it because as a therapist, uh-huh. That's that's what I do for a job, right? I'm the main person. If that if the other person's not talking, it's it's either an intentional moment True. of silence or mm-hmm. they're thinking, okay, a lot of what is my there. therapist gonna what is he gonna say? You know, they got they're gonna say something insightful or good or leading or you know whatever. So just like the, it's it's always focused mm-hmm. on the therapist, mm-hmm. very intentional. I mean, everything, in, in, in but sense. it's not a crowd still. Yeah, it's not a crowd. But why do you think that is? People are so scared of public speaking. I mean, what? Like, like I said, I think, I mean, that's like the number one fear, right? According mm-hmm. to research says, you know, I, I don't know. I think maybe because public speaking kind of goes into that like primal fear of like everybody is watching me. It's all dependent it's got, on yeah. me, whether I, wh- what I say or don't say, hmm. um, they will, you know, conclude, oh, is this person smart? Is it, is it competent? Is he a goofball? Is he funny? Is yeah. he insightful? You know? So maybe that's... Let me float two theories then. One would be, if you were, let's say, primal or primitive or whatever, if a bunch of people are listening to one person analyzing them, it means one of two things. Either they're in trouble, like being evaluated for judgment, or they're in charge, both of which are very dangerous predicament. To to be in charge is a dangerous... Like if you... Oh, you're in charge of these 200 people. Holy shit. Let's do it. People would challenge me. I might fail. I got to be unbelievably careful now. I'm in charge of 200 people. Why else would they all be listening to me speak? It's almost like... Or you're being held up there and, I don't know, judge and analyze. Either way, it's a very serious situation. Every time you get a mic is an instant promotion, no matter what you do, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, boom, okay, you're up here, speak, you know, share knowledge but, or whatever. Uh, but where we're headed is, I mean, there's my, I mean, everything's, like, it won't be hard for there to be cameras and microphones all the time everywhere streaming connected to your lens or your glasses or your backpack. I mean, yeah. 24-7 streaming of my video and microphone. Right. Is, is, then uh, then we'll just get used inevitable. to it. Just like, yeah. Yeah. I bet talking on the phone was like that at one point, you know? It's like, oh, I'm talking to the phone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like way It was back, formal. You're it right. Was, it was formal. Phone calls was were like, more formal. <laughs> it was long distance, you know? So like, well, some long distance, um, it costs money. There was mm-hmm. something at stake. You're on the phone. Don't. I don't want to waste the other person's time if I don't yep. have anything to talk about, you know? So it was like very kind of... So maybe, maybe public speaking will be as ubiquitous well, is having an iPhone. Well, I mean, this is not giving a speech, right? Like I can talk, what, we don't have a plan of what we're going to talk about right now. No. And we know we're talking to a lot of people. That yeah. never happened before. That's funny. That's, <laughs> That's never been a thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But now it is. So, it, so it's now, interesting. So, so think about like like from playing shows and stuff, like what's the biggest crowd you've probably ever played in front of? We played 5,000 5, people in a room, in which room. I think we played for more outdoor or something, but it's, that doesn't right. feel the same. We played for 5,000 people in Sydney. Yeah, and it's just I just so that's huge, right? Yeah. I mean, so that's okay. You're you're up there, all eyes on you, ten thousand eyes on you, right? So, but with it, this with this medium, there's way more people listening more than, than that, would yeah. be in a in a room. You know, mm-hmm. ten, twenty, thirty, but fifty. Each one of them feels like they're sitting right here. They yeah. don't feel like they're in a crowd when they no. listen. Is what you get away with in podcasting is they don't feel yeah. like they're listening to a speech from me. They feel like they're sitting in the empty seat right beside you. Yeah. And each one of the of the crowd has that experience. So they're actually And never, then they have their own independent thoughts like, yeah. oh, well, I but would say this. But there is no crowd. So when you say, yeah. oh, 20,000 people are listening to this, yeah. yes, individually. Yeah. That's totally yeah. different. It's not that's a crowd. That's crazy. That's so. crazy. Just think about like where, 
Well, that I mean, I guess that's why the 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 new you know um, the new uh, like um, I can't even think of the word I'm gonna say how popular podcasts are becoming, right. you know, because it's, it is so intimate, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've heard a zillion times, like when people finally meet you, you know, with a bad Christian thing or whatever, or break it down thing. It's like, oh yeah, I feel like I've known you, you know, like, oh yeah, I know, I know Bridget. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't know, you know, but you only know of what you tell people about, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's just like being in a living room, just talking and uh, are podcasts fake then? Fake. Yeah. How would they be? Is fake? it just is it just a, a replacement for people not uh a surrogate for real? Right. Yeah. Right. No, I don't think so. There's a ton that you you learn when you're listening to a podcast. So you you there's it could be a, a surrogate for conversation in real life in some sense because you can listen to people that maybe know more and more interesting than the person that you lives at your right. domestic residence, right? Yeah. So yes, but you also it also if you just I think of it as a form of learning in a form of gathering information and a form of studying, mm-hmm. basically. So I get, I choose, I like conversation and conversational dialogue. And I feel like since I know how to have a conversation and I've been in many, um, I can get more out of hearing somebody speak casually in a conversation than I can hear in their prepared speech. Because right. their prepared speech carries with it all these, in, the fact that it's calculated and revised. Yeah. And now I don't have a good, uh, it, it's, a, it's akin to body language. Like, Right. When you see body language, you go, oh, that helps you understand what the person meant. When you get a, a text out of the blue, you don't know what they meant, what the context is. And right. a prepared speech takes away a lot of context from, oh, but if you heard that same person talk on that topic conversationally to another intelligent person, yeah. I would I think you would get more out of that. It takes a lo- longer to do because uh, conversation yeah. is uh, and, and inherently that, less efficient than a speech. And that's why right. you feel closer to podcast host than you do some professor mm-hmm. at, a, at a lecture or something that you heard. Right. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But the weird thing thought. that you asked me before was like, what's going on is, uh, I think there's three levels of what's going on. And I'm not a multitasker person, but mm-hmm. I do consider speaking and podcasting, it, there is a multi task function going on because you have to be aware of what you're saying right? and you have to be aware of how it's coming across. Like I have to have the thought and speak it. And then I also have to filter how do they hear it and does it make sense to the person I'm imagining listening to this? Do they need more background? Does that sit right? Although I'm trying to take in the the content of what you're saying, you have to take in the context. You have to create the content. Yeah. Well, manage the context and create well you have to yeah you have to create all those things and then so so for me i'm like if i'm telling a story then i want to like kind of go back and make mm-hmm. sure that my listener has the entire context and usually that comes yes. out of just you know but that can be a huge it's necessary long-winded. but it can be a huge mistake because it's like you just keep backing up and backing up that's one of my pet peeves listen to a podcast or when i'm doing one and it goes right. weird it's like oh you were trying to back up to explain something, and right. then you backed up from that, and then you backed up from that. Okay, that, so you know, often you don't even get back to what you were saying. It's so a let's make this conversation a real practice for me in that. Okay, good. I'm not going to do any, well, I'll do the backstory enough that I think maybe, but if you think it's not, then you go, <laughs> I'll let you know. Dude, chill. The, but, uh, and, that, and that brings me to the third thing, which is managing the person that you're talking to. So I have to also think ahead. Like, you're going to answer a question in a minute, and then you're just going to look at me. Right. And I'll, it, you know, I don't want to have a prepared question there. Yeah. So I have to stay engaged with you yeah. so that that goes well. So I'm not caught off guard or else I have to look down yeah. notes or whatever. Like, what did I want to ask? Tell <laughs> me about a time that you, you know, I right. once you go there, it's so, kind of sunk. We were talking before. So um, as my job as a, as a licensed therapist, right? I, I promise you. Um, so when I have a client or, you know, a, a couple or whatever, 
they're looking to me just like your your guest is looking to right. you as the podcast host, mm-hmm. right? So I kid you not, there have been so many times where, you know, the client says something like, you know, an adult client paying you, you know, a, a lot of money expecting something from you. And I promise you, I go, I, I make, I make a face. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. I make a face and go, I just start talking. I say, mm-hmm. like an example, you just tell me something hard and I literally don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, like, did, did you ever, did you ever think about like what your mom would think about? I mean, I, I mean that, that's just really generic. <laughs> you just say you know? something nonsense. I, I, I promise you, like I can be two words in a sentence and go, I have no idea what the hell my uh-huh. third word is going uh, to be. Yeah, I've my done third that a word, lot of times. Two, yeah. it, it, and it's you just so, start. You just start, yeah. man. Sometimes it works out, and yeah. that's kind of like my style. But, <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, oh gosh, I really feel like an idiot, or what? What the hell am I? What is this? What am I doing? Yeah. You know. So that that's that's really funny. Confessions of a therapist. The uh, the guy that did mine and Bridget's premarital, who I think is great, and I, and I did some counseling work with him and apprentice with him, mm-hmm. even some. But he was a uh, he tells a story about a counseling session where a couple came into his office, mm-hmm. and and they came in and they said. They were having, it was marital, whatever. And they had a bad situation. They came in, they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And they walked in there and he, he, he asked them a couple questions and they talked for a while. And he said that he didn't know what it was, but he was just unable to speak or get one thought. He couldn't think of anything to say. So he would just look at them and he, he got so freaked out that he got and said, you had to excuse me for a minute. And went next door and told the, another counselor, he's like, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing here. I just can't, I have nothing to say. Yeah. I am just was it failing. Story, I'm bombing. Was it because the, the the couple's story was like so traumatic or, or yeah? Impactful he he or just hard? like I don't even know if it was, maybe it was a spiritual thing, but he was just out of it. He just couldn't connect. Like wow. he couldn't muster anything to say. He had no advice. He had nothing. Like he was just like deer in the headlights for the whole session. He said yeah. and he just let them talk, and then he would just look at them, and then the other one would say something. So he left the room. Had another guy talk to him. Was like, look, man, just go in there and do whatever. Yeah. Went in back there, sat back down, couldn't get together. Still went through the whole counseling session. Yeah, and then left the couple left or whatever. And then they called him like a week later and was like, that was the it's most amazing <laughs> counseling session I've ever been to. You're brilliant. You're a genius. Yeah. This has been so transformative. Yeah. <laughs> he's just couldn't, he's just never said anything the whole session. I mean, there, there can be like, you know, room for silence and like intentional silence yeah. and, you know, give time to, to sit with people. And then there's also, um, at least for me as like an experiential therapist, there, this whole theory, um, it's like you, you do things like that to be like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you think? What is, you know, what what are you feeling? And then you get into like, you know, some more like unconscious stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what are you feeling right now? You know? And then like, if you, if you can uh, let the, let the clients know that you're feeling the same thing, it can be very transformative, you know? So that's what it sounded like in that session. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I, I think there's some tricks. Like it's like hacks or rewiring stuff that go on there. Like if you phrase things as a question, people are just so used to being talked at, you know, that if yeah. somebody can just ask you a question and feel like they are really listening, right. that's not something you get, like, in a day. Do I, am I going to get that? Really? Is anybody going to really ask me a question today and listen? Is that even going to happen to me today? Not typically. I mean, it'll be, it'll be data transfer with me and my <laughs> right. wife, and we may have a conversation today, right. but it's pretty low likelihood that she's going to say, you know how you're always thinking and feeling this about that? What do you actually think about this and that? I yeah. want to know. What would you that, do? That doesn't really even hardly happen. If she said that, would you, well, <laughs> would you really? Would no. you be like, 
you know, surprised. It or would like, be exciting. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's weird because I mean, so why don't, I mean, you should just take the time to do that with other people, you know, like, well, yeah, it, it, it's, it, but it's at least a shortcut. Like if, if she did that, which maybe she does sometimes you, you just feel like, Oh, Right. Somebody's listening yeah. to me, you know. Because it's a you, you've had a real transaction, mm-hmm. not just a like you said data transfer. Right. Good lord, how how cold is that? You data transfer with your phone as you type a text, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I mean, I think about it. When's the last time somebody asked you a question and wanted to know the answer that wasn't just transactional? Right. Very well, rare. Not very rare, but it's like conversation, maybe hanging out, maybe watching really, a football game or you, playing poker. You really or, have to be intentional about that stuff. Yeah. Like, when's the last time that I asked you or you asked me, like, dude? What's up? How you doing? Well, that's too surfacey of a question for well, me. So I don't start ever buy out, that start, as well. Well, but. no, no. But start out with that. Like, Matt, I've noticed that X, Y, Z and this and that. And I've known you for a long time. Let's talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's not surprising for you. I don't know. But. Well, I mean, I'm. that's what I like about podcasting is it forces us to sit down and do stuff right. like this or or talk about it. Or, or my favorite thing about it is when I just get somebody that I'm curious about information they have. So even though that may be relatively transactional, I love to engage with somebody that understands how a jet engine works because mm-hmm. I think I understand more than the average person about a jet engine. Right. Now I got somebody that can t- that I, I know enough to engage somebody. Who knows way more about and it. And they like then, that right. because then they get to talk about what they know about and then I get to learn. Right. So that that's the, I mean, maybe that's a, Insincere to some degree, but that's that's just, Why would that's it be where insincere? I like to be. You know a little bit yeah. and you're going to talk to somebody else who knows way more. Yeah. That's yeah. just wanting to know something. So, you know, that's weird thinking about you doing podcasting and more into that, doing the Stronger Marriages podcast and stuff like that, but coming from a counseling background because that stuff like intentional pauses and careful right. speech is, right. is important. But, you know, you have to avoid being professional and stilted or whatever. But you well, seem yeah, like you already yeah. got a good grip on that. Yeah, it's funny. I was telling Melanie like two days ago because we've been doing more Facebook Live events, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm so much better doing the live stuff rather than some of the episodes that, you know, you came down and we recorded mm-hmm. and you're like, what is Seth saying? He's not even making any yeah, sense not, right now yeah. because I didn't have to be. I didn't have to be <laughs> on, you know. Yeah. So like, so you, you, you did an improv class a while back and mm-hmm. like I remember you said that you were going to do it and then I asked you about it and you said, yeah, you did it. But like, what did you learn in that? Because that makes me, when I heard you say that you were going to do that, I was like, whoa, that sounds exciting. Like what yeah. did you, what was the main thing that you got out of that? Well, I was, uh, I mean, the main thing out of it is, is just like the humility of not really being good at it. Like that's the mm-hmm. main thing is you do something. And that's the way I think about a lot of things. Like you got to do stuff that you're not good at and get good at it. Because right. it's a myth to me. Um, that people say, well, you just, I mean, people always describe singing or acting or whatever it is, talent things. They always right. describe them as, well, you're just born with it. Or I don't know. It's just natural to me. That's what everybody says, but that's right. not true. And it, that's it, it a, feels it's natural a, because they practice yeah. and like put in so much time and right. effort. And now it feels natural. Right. right. That's right. So they, so when they look back on it, they just feel like, oh, you got, and, and or if you're in an industry or you're a record producer or whatever, then mm-hmm. from your point of view, you either got it or you don't, you right. don't take somebody that has some talent and say, come back in eight years after you work really hard. You just, they don't. Right. And this person does, but you don't know what led them to get to where they're at. Right. So it's a myth of that thing of you can't learn stuff or get better at it. And in fact, the hardest thing about anything is just starting. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just the hardest thing. So with improv specifically, I know from podcasts and doing stuff with Toby and Joey and doing interviewing people that there's things I'm doing wrong um, a lot. Like I can feel when dynamics change or whatever. And improv is... The, is 
it's it's less about comedy and more about just the interaction part and helping the other person right. and, and and not negating what they say and working with it and not shutting it down and, and working together. So but neither it, one of you know, and you can't. And the whole thing about it is it breaks down all the barriers of like uh, like you can't preload. Like you're if you cheat, it sucks. Like right. you, you you need to start talking in improv when you don't know what you're gonna say. Right. That's the only time it can really be good. Yeah. So it's really focuses people on positive interacting with people, being totally present and not knowing, and that being okay. Maybe one of the the powers of improv, or like I was saying, you know, sometimes I do counseling sessions and not even know what my third word is gonna be. Yeah. It's like you're getting rid of everything. That's right. So you're shedding everything out and then your interaction with that other person is only is exactly. only like and you can what do I have here? Uh, okay, let's yeah. go. Whether you're observing somebody else's interaction or you're the one interacting is palpably clear. Right. Like right. and you know when somebody like, oh, that's something they always say. Like you can feel that. It's just gross. Yeah. Like that's oh, what is that some joke you know? Like right. oh, you have all those details pre-organized to say them. You thought of I mean, that, that while you were waiting like for your turn. Writing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just more not like right. A speech yeah. writing class. Yeah. Um uh so I remember taking a speech class in college and uh there was, you know, one type of speech is called extemporaneous mm-hmm. talking, you know? Yeah. And that's just when you blah, you go well, and you, you uh, have it, some kind of beacon points that you can hit for, off of. It, for that is usually you get a you find out your topic and you have like five minutes and you have to right. whatever. So what kind of things when when you said that you were talking to other people when I when I think of improv, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you get up you, like an open mic night, yeah. and you're like Hey, you know, and whatever, and you're just funny or you're bomb or whatever. So was well, that's it, more like stand up. So was it like monologue or no, no. was it like no? It's like this. Okay, so the the premise is like you just have to make a sound that you've never made before, an emotion, and look somebody in the eye, right. and it's humiliating, man. So you have to go, <laughs> and now you have to mimic that sound that I did, which right. makes you feel super uncomfortable, and you have to do it back to another person. Right, and it's just an exercise in being a childish fool right? and you can't do it good and there's no great way to do it and it's personal interaction it's unco- and that's just like what you start at. Did you think it was stupid? Were oh, you uncomfortable? Like I was you very like uncomfortable, this. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I can assume you're uncomfortable just because the nature of it but were you like, this is stupid? Sometimes, yeah. Really? I mean, but it's just getting, that's the whole the whole thing and it was just one-on-one level. What I'm saying is I didn't get that good at it, like doing scenes and being able to make it go where you want to go. Like I didn't, we didn't get very far and I wasn't anywhere near the best one in the class which yeah. is a little disappointing. I thought I'm good verbally, I'm fun, I'm funny, right. I understand this stuff. I, I should be able to be have, good at it but I wasn't, I'm not even good I think, at it. I think you're good when you have uh, the element of control that you're used to. Right. That, and that's that's right. when you can jam. Yeah. You know, that's why you probably have your own podcast. Well, I have things in my head that I can use, and so right. I use them. And even when I do music, I arrange and compose and spend a long time to get it just the way I want. I know what I'm looking for, and I can eventually get it. Right. Improvising, no, you don't really see me jam on guitar either. You know, and I don't really, I don't do jazz improv guitar. I wish I did, right. but that I, that's a the thing you have to to learn to do. So I have to lay down all of my verbal or you know, information crutches to do improv. So yeah. very, very useful though, nonetheless. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, you did? I did. Yeah, I'm going to do it more. I mean, I'm way into it. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about being funny or an improv performer. I don't want anybody to know. I didn't, I, mean, I wouldn't, good Good gosh, I don't want anybody to know right. that I do it like or show up. Oh, or, sorry. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell anybody in my class that I have a podcast or I'm in a band the right. whole semester. Well, you know what? Probably those other people have the same thing. They're just trying to get better. Yeah. No, I know, but I just don't want them to think that I'm an, an entertainer here to like, I don't, want, I don't want the people in my class to go home and Google me. Oh, you know, right, like right. That, as far as they know, I'm just some goofball. Yeah. Like not because, yeah. you know, basically yeah. kind of thing. That You know, so like, and I know that 
because because I was in the band for a minute, like you can Google and I come up for several different things, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had um, used to have a lot of private practice clients Google because that's what you do when you get a therapist. You're yes. going to be intimate, yeah, you know, yeah. and all the all, all, all well, you Google everybody intimate. these days. Yeah. Um, and like they would ask these questions, and it was such a weird place to. Oh yeah, I was the drummer for. You know, oh yeah, I did this thing. Oh, I did this thing, and then it makes you feel like. Mm-hmm. Now he's, uh, I mean, he used to run around naked and you know playing shows or or whatever, doing stupid stuff, and now he's my therapist. Yeah, you know, so like that element. So I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, you go to the improv class. Oh, this is Matt from BC and Emory and all this stuff. You're like, you know, yeah. So it, it just makes you feel weird. I yeah, guess. especially yeah, for sure. It, it definitely does. Yeah. What was I saying? Oh, um, so on improv stuff, I've always wanted to be in a play, but I've mm-hmm. always been like way too just deathly scared mm-hmm. of like being in the play. So last summer, um, had this opportunity to, to, to do uh, a cold read of a script and it was um, some play. It was a, a variation on Jack. <laughs> it was a variation on Jack and Jill who were mercenary soldiers uh, in a post-nuclear... Okay. <laughs> post- <laughs> it was a hilarious thing. So it, um, we, we did the cold read and like, um, I was nervous throughout the whole time, mm-hmm. but it was just a reading, you know, and Melanie, my wife was Jill, you know, so that kind of made it more, and she's really good at acting and, you know, singing all that stuff. But I found myself, I was like, I love this yeah. because I was so, I was scared to do it, yes, you know, and right. like, just like, okay, I've never done this before. I'm going to suck at it, but I don't care. But then afterwards they were like, Hey, that yeah. was pretty yeah. good. For you a you first just have to read. find a safe, the right safe environment to, to do something poorly. That's right. what you, you need. And then if you like it, you will get good at it. And yeah. I, Or you'll give up in six months or eight months, and then you won't get good at it. But mm-hmm. the amount of time that you stay motivated on a thing is pretty much how good you will be at it. Like if you're like, dude, I'm so into improv. If, I, if 10 years from now, I sit here and say, man, I'm so into improv. Well, you matter-of-factly know I must, I'm going to be very good at it, right? basically. Yeah. Because I've spent 10 years on it. So right. the only variable is, will I have the motivation to be doing it in 10 years? And probably not. Right. Which shows you exactly how much I'm good at and care about it. Right. A counterpoint to that would be my grandpa, however, who played golf three days a week his whole life. And <laughs> he wasn't was good, terrible. I remember. <laughs> he was terrible. He, he, uh, my grandpa joined Greer Country Club in 19, in the June of 1950 or whatever, 54, whatever year opened in January of that year. So he joined it six months after it opened in the 50s. Right. And played three days a week there until he died. Oh, Or man. until he couldn't play golf anymore. Right. And he sucked at golf. <laughs> like, so, I could beat him as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's basically a true golfer then. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. you go out there and hack and you just love it, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, was he, he loved it, yeah. Was he like three he days a week? never got like, good. Damn it. You know, like hitting bad shots or whatever. No, he was like, yeah. I enjoyed my 18 holes, you know, four hours yeah. a freaking day doing it. <laughs> no, wait. no you just up there and just say breaks toward the creek or, you know, hit a worm burner or what, what are the other golf phrases? Pulled it. Uh, Pulled it. Sculled it. Sculled it. <laughs> Chili dipped it. Chili. <laughs> slice. Slice it. Just slice, hook, whatever. Um, uh, so is there anything that you love that much? Like what you do recreationally? I don't know. I mean, even if you could afford it. I don't know. I don't know. I got a bad habit of turning things professional. That are you know hobbies kind of a thing. So well, that's kind of, kind of a bastard. dream, though. It, it kind of is. It bastardizes a bit from time to time. Like yeah. you know, I'm less into music now because I overdid it, maybe, or <laughs> monetized it, or professionalized it. Your know. ears gave out. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, think about it from your point of view of like, I mean, you, it's it's hard to say. Like you quit, for instance, you quit being in our band, right? So you're the. If anybody doesn't know, Seth was a drummer for Emory from. 
dude. The first three years, I guess. Yeah, and or I mean, but even before that, this is pretty interesting, really. If I think about it now that now I think about it, we I've known you since I was five, right? At least, if not before that. Um, playing t-ball, and then I'm pretty sure you're the first person I knew that even played music or played the drums. And that's how, one of the ways I got yeah. into music was that you and Austin would jam. Right. And you could play the drums and you could play the intro to Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right. Which you were playing incorrectly. I <laughs> retroactively look back and understand that <laughs> no now. No doubt, right. But, but you could do that and like you could jam on a Nirvana song or whatever. And that was when I said, oh, holy shit, music, let's, let's do it. Right. Kind of thing. So we've been yeah. doing stuff like that so did I introduce you to music? Can I be thanked for yeah, I suppose. a couple of albums? Let me stuff? thank you publicly now. Okay, I was looking forward to that, uh, so I'm glad it came out. But um, but you know, I mean, like I wasn't any good at music. You remember that, right? I mean, you remember yeah, me I remember when like, I was whatever. I mean, you used to be, be a bully that picked on me and made fun of me, to be to be quite honest, if you'll recall. Right. I mean, put you in a locker. <laughs> right. That happened when I was in the eighth grade playing tennis, you know, and you were in high school. Right. So that, I mean, you must, I don't know what you must have thought about me, but even when I started playing music with you, I didn't, wasn't any good at it. I just wanted to play with somebody who well, neither already knew we, how to but play. You, so I was the probably the only drummer you knew. You know, by a long shot. Right? I, I didn't even and other, dream that somebody could ever do something like that. Other than our other friend, you were the only guitarist that I knew. And I didn't know even know how to play at all. Right, but at least you had one and were yeah. trying, right? Yeah. So it was like, hey, let's do some. And I remember you bought a drum set, and you didn't even you bought a drum set, and you didn't even play drums. I bought it for other people to play. I know, yeah. I know, which is like the cool one of the coolest. That's what I'm things. saying. As soon as I figured it out, like well, this is fun, like well, okay. And then I spent eventually bought a bass amp and a drum set so it could be because other people. I mean, I right. know, it's just why wouldn't you? Yeah. But anyway, that's been my mode forever. It's like, well, I'm interested in this, so let's just let's, let's do more of this. So that's what that's just that's all I do. This isn't musically related, but kind of going back, if you kind of look at the like the frameworks of of things like systemically, like okay, you you were interested in something, right? Mm -hmm. And then you wanted other people to be interested in it, right? That's right. <laughs> so you bought musical equipment so you could play with them. Yeah. And do stuff, right? right. And then, but that wasn't about money. and have any money. It wasn't like you buy. It, no, no, it wasn't about money, just, or it wasn't about what like, is it oh, going to take to do cool. the thing I want to do, and that's what it was going to take. Exactly. You weren't yeah. looking for friends, like oh, if I you know get a drum set, yeah. self would come over more. Or, no, it wasn't anything like yeah. that. It was like I think that's pretty visionary. But I bet. <laughs> I, well, no, no. I mean, no, I know my my it. bum loser friends weren't about to save up for a bass amp. Right. They're not going to. They don't think that way. So Ronnie wasn't going to get. I mean, why do you think that way? I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I know how to figure it out, or, or just take one step at a time. I'm just, right. I'm just driven to do the thing I want to do. It's, it's real, relatively selfish. I mean, it's pretty clear. And by and to to get to that end, you power up, you enable, you facilitate yeah. other people to come That's along right. with you because you can't do it alone, right? right? Why would you want to? Some people do. Well, those people are boring. <laughs> They're bored. I, what, you, that, yeah, what, what would be. I get out of being this expressive artist by myself in an apartment creating words and music that express myself to, out there to other people? And what satisfaction do you even hardly get out of that? Well, think about like a poet. You don't have to have like friends Sounds or, horrible. Or, or, or a writer, you know. Sounds horrible. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them. I don't understand why they do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking of like even, even, I don't know how old we were, 15... 14, mm -hmm. 16 or whatever. Um, you just think in that way and then like, again, looking through a like systemic lens as a therapist, kind of like, oh yeah, he's really done that in almost every arena. I mean, you're doing it right now. 
you know, I mean, we're gonna make money off me and you talking like we would got to have lunch today and hang out. So I yeah, know. So good, it's like good for me. So that's that's what me and Melanie are trying to do, like lifestyle design, marriage design. Yeah, like just do what you want, be able to get paid for it. Well, most people don't really think you can't. They just don't. I mean, there's a combination think, of people that don't know that you can do stuff right. that, that could or would. Right. And then there's the people that don't want to do anything. Like, say this, what would be your ideal job? You could design anything and pay yourself anything. A lot of people would come back with a professional uh, beach sitter, margarita drinker. Right. And I want to get paid a million dollars. Right. Okay. Whatever. That's right. Just, that's a boring, dull person that doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. So, uh, so what? I mean, that's... Yeah. So I'm just thinking about like what... I don't know. It's weird because like do we gravitate... Do we, do we gravitate towards what we really like? And then because like our system is set up, it's like, well, you can only do that on weekends or your vacation hours kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? No, like, I just would say you I, just don't listen to anything anybody says. Their actions tell you what they care about and like. There's yeah. nothing else to it than that. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing else to it than that. I, yeah. I don't ever have any room for anybody to tell me what they wish they did. Right. I don't really, that's kind of a meaningless thing. Right. Like I wish I was an astronaut. Sure, I do. But clearly, I don't really. No, you don't I've wish never, you an astronaut. Yeah, I, do. You, I would you, love it. You, you wish that you could like go to space and like have fun out there. Yeah. But I'm saying that's that's the same thing as somebody saying I I wish I could be a painter for a living or a singer or do music or do podcast whatever it is. Even right. when people say I wish I did what what I do. I was well, no, you don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, or you could, or you would, or something. Right. And like, I, it would not be crazy for me to say I want to be an astronaut because I could tell you, I could give you ten reasons why I would like that. Mm-hmm. But. I have that's is nonsense. There's no supporting action to any of that whatsoever. Do you remember after you watched that Coast Guard movie, you called me and like you were like really, really, really wanting to be a Coast Guard I, person? Yeah, the two <laughs> things, and I told you another one I would do if I had to go from scratch, I would want to be a Coast Guard swimmer. Yeah. Or a. You mean uh, a swimmer, the guys that like rescue jump swimmer. out of the plane? The rescue the, the swimmer for the Coast Guard. I'd right. want to do that job or I would start a demolition company. Right. Maybe dynamite, build, like start small, build a company and turn it, do I demolish up big buildings eventually. Right. So you're That's, saying, those are two things I think. I mean, of course, that, those aren't really true. I, I don't guess, but it, that that's things I would say that I want to do. If you were if you were 15 years younger, would you think that you wanted to, would want to do that? Probably not. That's what I'm saying. It, it's it, so, I really believe it when I say those things, but I don't think my actions support it. Right. So you're so you're so you're okay. So you saying that is like yes, I am the most 100 percent happy and certain that. I am actually doing exactly what I want to do. Well, close to it. I sure do wish it went down differently most times, but that's what gives you the to get up the next day. What would it, what, so. what would be different in it? Well, I wish I had a little more income. To be honest, would so, be okay, nice. So you make know, more money, right? I wish I wish I was I wish I spoke better. I wish when I listened to the tape back, I didn't hear the flaws I hear. You know? right. But that's what makes me get up tomorrow and try again. And that's what makes you go to improv classes so right. you can be better. Yeah, and I like it. I mean, right. you, and I just like I like doing stuff. I like right. doing stuff with people. I mean, I don't even understand why, who who wouldn't fall into that category. But most people well, don't. Tons of people. Yeah. That's just that's just your thing, right? Yeah, just doing stuff with people. It's right. Fun. Right. So. All right, let's talk about. No, um, I want. I wanted to talk to you though about quitting the band. I don't even. I mean, I think we're on Emory's page today, so I don't mm-hmm. know if even people know why you quit the band. But it's crazy to me. You're an interesting person to me. I always tell people this. You're a family, a licensed marriage and family therapist with what? What are your degrees and uh, point uh, credentials or what? So I have. I have a. What is it? A bachelor's of arts in psychology mm-hmm. with a minor in British history, mm-hmm. and then. 
a master's of science in marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. And then also was credentialed as a uh, chemical dependency counselor for, I don't know, like a year and a half, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Which so, I had to go to school for that too. So eight years of school. Yeah. So the crazy thing about that is I tell people this all the time that you, Seth is crazy. He's a really, really funny and the most unlikely academic possible. Like, I don't think yeah. people get that. Like, I, I at some point would have said you were one of the dumber people I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably true. What, what do you mean dumber? Like, well, like I mean, like you were like, not thinking. Okay, so in high school, you were just, if you think about it, if you were walking the halls of a high school and tried to rank people's intelligence, you would have scored yourself on the low side, would you right. not? Of course. You must have believed it yourself. At one point, you were a bad especially student. after I got my first eight uh, SAT scores back, yes. What, what, what was I don't it? want to tell what you. What was it? Uh, so out of 1,600, right? Yeah. Because that's what they were then. Yeah. <laughs> 710. <laughs> <laughs> For real. That's crazy. But, I mean, your whole character and persona was just, Seth, is like you played dumb, you act dumb, you made bad grades, and you were funny. That's right. just what you were doing. Right. But it was quite convincing. I, mean, I think I, I was— uh, Do you think you weren't smart? or did t- I don't know, It's weird. I mean, and I then it's one, not like, the next step of that is you went to community college down the street, and we went to a real college. college. You went to USCS. Oh, right, right. right. Um, so you went to that college there, yeah. which was just a local commuter college. Yes. And what was your report card that time? It was so funny. Oh, gosh. I, got, um, I almost had to quit. Uh, my, my, first, my first and second semester were all Ds and Fs. <laughs> of college because I because I was a, um, a pre I was a pre physical therapy major and uh-huh. I had to take a lot of biology and like me and our friend Robert Stringer we would like start start mm-hmm. biology and then look at each other and go let's go get a sandwich you know yeah. so like all D's and F's and I lost financial aid and all this terrible but stuff. you had all D's and F on the report all card. D's like, and F nothing for two higher semesters than a D. straight yes and the best was you took math ninety nine before which was pre college. Like you it, had to take that before you could take college take, math take a real the, the minimum class. one yes and yeah. that math math ninety nine you I failed took it four times. <laughs> four times. Yeah. So it was looking pretty bleak. And then I changed my major to education mm-hmm. and then to psychology and then kind of got in a groove. Yeah. It was weird. Like, I, like, I never understood I, I why think, you were at college. It just never made sense to me. I just thought, well, this is what I do. What am I going to do next? Right. And I never th- considered myself as like not a smart person. I just wasn't a thinker. I was very, right. I mean, you're a very was, smart person. I was reactive and proactive. Uh, uh, almost to nothing. Yeah. You know? And that's just what it what it was. And then kind of like, I don't know where it transitioned to, but it's like, oh, well, okay. It's really bizarre just looking it back was. on the thing of it. And so then right after that college, you moved to Seattle to be in Emory. Right. Which is weird. And then you didn't really do that for that long. No. Kind of a thing. I think I, I did it because it was, it was fun and, you know, I was hanging out and it was more of a hangout, but I, I don't know. Uh, again, you never I, cared about it. Still, is, that, is I, that? I cared about it to the extent of like, like how could you have the same experience as me and Toby, and then you're like, yeah, I'm out of here. Like you, you didn't enjoy. I just don't. I just that to me, I still I don't think, even understand I think to this one day. Factor, one one r- real factor was uh, me and my well, me and my wife Melanie. We weren't married then. All we did was freaking argue. All the yeah, time. but I'm not gonna let you get away with that. I'm just saying you weren't that engaged with the music and the success and all that stuff. You weren't. I was you engaged with the fun. Well, you know what? There became you, I mean, a time that when was just like, an excuse or the time when you're like, oh, now I have a pinch in a relationship, and that's when you quit. But you yeah. clearly were never engaged to the d- degree that yeah that I, we were. 
Well, I mean, I, I think I had spurts of being like really yeah. engaged, like, okay, going out and getting gigs and working hard. And I, I, I was interested in where the payoffs were potentially pretty big or really immediate. You know, but not the music even that much, though. <laughs> no, right. That's really, what I'm I mean, saying. That- I like playing drums and like, you know, I really, it, playing, playing music in that way was really enjoyable and fun and like not even really being creative because, well, I created my own drum parts, but mostly it was just like, you and Devin and Toby, the main writers, like, yeah. hey, play this, or I couldn't, I'd get pissed at myself, and then, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Um, even then, I still kind of like reactionary to stuff. Yeah, it was fun to just hang out for. And for and years. you wouldn't say either that you look back on it with regret, like you don't wish you were still the drummer. No, no, no. I mean you don't. No, I was talking to somebody last weekend actually because they discovered in the group that I was in that I was in Emory. I was like, yeah, oh, it was whatever. And, um, oh, do you miss it? Do you like it? I was like, I don't really miss it. Like, right when I quit, like, literally a handful of months after that, you guys, you know, got a Europe tour and, like, Australia and South America and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I was like, shit, that would have been cool. Yeah. But that, like, oh, well, you were in a band so you could travel? That's not the right reason to be in a band, you yeah. know? And that was probably right. my main thing. So That's I was right. like, no, I don't miss it. And I, I wouldn't trade the experience of quitting or being in the band for anything. Yeah. Like, I, I love where I am now. Well, the thing is, nonetheless, imagine how profound your life, not changed because of it, but like, uh, I'll put it this way. Your life now is so different than your families and where you grew up in a rural... I mean, you don't even sound like you have a certain accent. I do, but you don't even sound like you have one. Yeah. Mr. College Boy Professional. <laughs> um, doesn't even have an accent, really, well, what, but... What Southerns do I hang out with other than you no, and, like, talking to my mom? Yeah. But it, but it's uh, but you live here in Seattle, in the Northwest, and are an academic professional. I mean, or I don't know if that's really what you'd even say it is, but it's so bizarre. And then you have traveled the world and the country, you've been to every, everywhere, you right. know, because of being in a band and seeing how, you know, just all the things, think of how formative all the experiences you've had as a person are. Yeah. And, and it, you're just an insane example of somebody that can, it's not defying the odds because you haven't done anything crazy, crazy. It's not that. Right. It's just, well, compared, what to, a, compared to some I mean, yeah, but if that, you think about it, like, you know, I go on Facebook and, like, look at the people that we graduated high school right. with. It's so crazy where you are to right. me, like, just where you live and the set of experiences you've had. And it's just, I guess it's all about just the broadness of experiences. Right. That, yeah, I guess the broadness and, and the depth and the, and the well, the, and the breadth, too, of mm-hmm. those experiences. Like, yeah, do this, do that, go here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think a lot of opportunities in that, and I said yes to the opportunities, like, coming out here to be the drummer or going to graduate school or, you know, just doing all kinds of stuff. Um, traveling. It's like, yeah, I think it's just being open to those things. Yeah. I guess. But it's just weird that a life can turn out that much different. Like your views or political views or social views and stuff are just so different, unpredictable. Like I just don't, I think that's it's an, so weird. Like, uh, like you worked with the, the natives. Is it, am I saying that right? Right. Um, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. But right. I don't even know how to get into the conversation. It's, it's like so. Right. Like you're so socially aware and pro- I, I guess you're like almost a progressive or something. I, right? Well, I don't, even I don't know. know. I'm. It, um. It's. I think a lot of um, in this conversation, a lot of nature and a lot, a lot probably more nurture happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, tell me how different you are living in Seattle than Blue Ridge, South Carolina. Yeah. Quite different. Are you, are you kidding? Yeah, you're. You know, and that's that's a transformative, and that takes a long time, right? So, like, my mom's side of the family is from the Catawba Indian Nation in South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up that way because we weren't allowed to go. We weren't allowed to kind of like um, that. That side of the family wasn't celebrated because of like 
the um, historical trauma of of native populations. Um, there's a whole there's a whole host. I'm again, I'm gonna try not to get too much in the backstory context of it, but it's like important. Here, yeah, I no, think. I'm kind of interested in it. There's a concept concept of historical trauma. Um, uh, that uh, nobody else from your high school class ever talks about historical trauma in populations. By the way, I, uh, yeah, I mean, a I couple know. of them do actually. I'm sure, but not maybe, me, not maybe. Me. Um, uh, historical trauma is the idea of like um, if you take a, a, a people group that has suffered from genocide, removal, you know, uh, forced sterilization, um, boarding schools, all kinds of abuses. Mm-hmm. You take that. You take a population in any population. You like Jewish people, uh, Rwandans whoever, then there is going to be residual and profound effects generation after generation yep. after generation, right? Mm-hmm. So in Indian country, we see the highest rates of alcoholism, suicide, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, all these extreme maladaptive reactions, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what happened a long ago and is still happening today. I mean, yep. you can see like, uh, you know, um, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, all this stuff. It's just a, a, a blatant, you know, uh, dismissive... Uh, di- uh, dismissive, I don't know, human rights. And so, anyway, so that side of the family, uh, because of historical trauma, they were never had a job, they were always drunk, and my dad wouldn't let us go down there, mm-hmm. right? And all my uncles, long hair, everything. Uh, could, couldn't do that, you know? So it wasn't really celebrated. So fast forward to out here, I work for an Indian tribe and with Indian people all the time. So that nature part, there's a lot of ways that I spiritually, physically, and emotionally relate to other Native people because mm-hmm. of... That some people call that blood memory, right? Which is really an, an interesting concept. Um, so coming out here, working for a tribe, relearning all this stuff about native spirituality, native ways of being, all this stuff, collectivist culture versus an individualistic culture mm-hmm. that I grew up with, right? Um, so it's not it's not you in a large part. It's like you within the part and everything's a, a cog that supports one another. Um, so I don't know where I was going with that, but, uh, even, even that, you know, just, just think about like, if you went so deep back in your family history and learned so many things about different, you know, your ancestors and go, man, I can really put those two dots together about what I feel, what I experience, and what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. It really kind of completes the puzzle in, is, in some it, way. Is that a problem though? Like the way you said and where we grew up, it, I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. The typical person in South Carolina, rural, or at least us, or where I grew up, mm-hmm. their attitude toward generational trauma or whatever like that would, would be, well, that was then. Right. Now it's their fault if they're going to continue to be alcoholics. We give them a lot of money, so it's on them now or something like that. Yeah, I mean... And, to, to, so, and you kind of grew up even... That would have been your That default. would have been my that perspective. Even, yeah. even you would have thought and said that yep. X amount of years ago. And people, if you went back and talked to people in your family, that's what they'd say today. Yeah. And then you've been on the ground and done all this stuff and the hunting trips and the, but, but, almost, but almost an immersion in you native can't, culture. Exactly. So you can't think that way after having seen and done and experienced all the things that I have with that certain mm-hmm. population. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, well, they get a job or this or that. And then you go on the reservations and you befriend, you know, different different tribes and stuff like that. And you meet their grandmas, you meet their aunties, you meet them, you meet their dads and go, okay, I think I, I understand why this is so hard for you. Because So when, when you said, when you said uh, earlier, like, I never would have thought you would have gone to graduate school and all this stuff. You were the, you know, one of the dumber people in the <laughs> thing, right? I was like, that's really hilarious, but... I'm only comfortable saying that because you're clearly not that and demonstrating that Oh, here, no, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, I was the first person ever in the history of, of my 
family, mom and dad's side, mm-hmm. to graduate college. First generation, right? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So even even putting that together is like De- Devin's the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like how how does that how does that happen? I mean, you know, I had key people, you know, in my life that pushed it, not mm-hmm. from my mom's side, well my mom did, but uh so it it it's all contextual and if you take a minute and don't judge, I think it's like the South is so judgmental. I think we're all judgmental. But you go, Oh yeah, walk, you know, go to a reservation, go do go go do a sweat lodge ceremony and uh, multiple sweats and all this other stuff, and be like Hey, I can see that perspective. That kind of makes a lot more sense. It's kind of like Mark Twain said, you know, travel is the death of bigotry and I don't I don't I don't know the quote, but the point is, it's like when you have a, a wide breadth and range of experiences, mm-hmm. you can't think narrow-mindedly anymore or you're an idiot. Okay, all right. I'm kind of torn on what I want to talk about with that cuz I kind of want to talk about native stuff a little bit more cuz I want to understand it better. But if that's true, where does that leave somebody like you, especially understanding where we came from, because I feel like, in general, people here, the open-minded crowd here, the tolerant, open-minded crowd, mm-hmm. doesn't. I feel like they don't understand the South. Right. Do you agree with that, or you just look back as, oh, that that's a regressive, poor, not good mentality in the South? Or do you think that there's <laughs> something people are, like, couldn't you apply the same thing? Sometimes I don't understand the South. But couldn't you apply the same thing? Oh, that's their culture. If you understood them, if you knew where these people that you're saying are racist came from and why they say what they do, you would understand that. Is that valid then? Yeah, yeah. It's 100% valid. It's the same coin or it's the same... same Because people here, I don't get people to... I mean, maybe you say that, but if I run into into a progressive crowd here in Seattle, they don't don't jive with that, what I just said. Everything looks the same on the inside it's just packaged differently on the outside I guess that's oversimplifying it mm-hmm. sort of but there, there's no difference you know it's talking about oh the, the far left the far left or the far right it's like they're the same they're just talking about different things and like very close minded to each other's opinions you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so I guarantee if you took the most you know as you said liberal Seattleite or you know from somebody from Portland transplanted them to where we grew up and go alright you're gonna live here for four years that's, you know, here's your mm-hmm. job. You make the same money. You have the house, whatever. You're living here for four years. I guarantee that they go, man. And they were halfway open to, right. you know, any influence or growth. Man, okay, you know what? Uh, I was wrong about a, a million things. Yeah. And and all, all that takes is being open and then experiencing some of the stuff that you're, you know, criticizing so harshly. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then they come back here and people say, oh, you're you're more open now to racism. Great, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah, That's no. how they would take so, it. So, <laughs> so there's this funny thing, like with the people I work with. You've heard of microaggressions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just these yeah. tiny little things that kind of eat away at you know someone's self worth or you know culture or whatever. So everybody. That's what I'm saying. How far into the, all of that progressive culture? I mean, you're up to. I mean, you get it. And I, yeah. what I'm curious is how far in that? How cool? How much of that Kool Aid are, are you drinking? Like, what do you mean? How much? Uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't mean understand. to demean that mentality by no, no, saying no, like Kool-Aid. What, but. To what, do, what do you mean? Like, oh, well, Seth is a Vince. No, I'm just curious. Years. Are you about to say that microaggression stuff is silly or are you about to go, no, and this is why it's important. That's what I'm curious. You know? um, it is important. Um, and here's here's an example. Like, okay, and you can relate to this. So uh, um, everybody, anywhere you go, when, when they want to act like they're dumb, what do they do? Well, I don't know. How what? do they speak? When oh, they, like, yeah, they use a Southern accent well, to portray what? Well, you're going there, you know, just yeah. like an idiot, right? right? And so, like, I got If you want to sound like a dummy, just talk like Matt. I know, yeah. just talk like yeah. whatever. It's like, 
So that is a microaggression. As silly as damn it, no, no, Jesus really, bastards! I knew it. <laughs> as as silly as it may sound, but but um, so I, I got on the people I work with. They were like, one lady was like, "Oh, okay." I was like, and I was just halfway joking oh, with her. Dude, I'm gonna use that. But I was like, "Hey, so and so." Um, and I didn't like, "Hey, um, I want to be really respectful." <laughs> and, like, this is great. You just kind of offended me right now, and I mm-hmm. just wanted uh, you to be aware of that. Thank you. Please don't do it again. No, I was like, um, that is hilarious because. Think about it. Every time somebody wants to be, you know, dumb, they talk like a Southerner, right? I'm from the South. You know, that's like a, a microaggression in a really maybe It's micro, at least micro a microaggression. Aggression, I would right? say it might be more than a microaggression. Right. So I was kind of making fun of a microaggression, but not in pointing out to her who is like, you know, ultra Seattle, whatever, like it's a microaggression. Yeah, totally. On, on, on any level of definition, you know, if you wanted to say, you know, Use the the the, the redskins. Well, that's more than a microaggression. That's more overt. But um, or anything like that. It's like, hey, if I want to be dumb, all I have to do is talk like a southerner. All mm-hmm. right, cool. You know, hey, if I want to be black, then I you know spit out some rap. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just like, it, it's the same thing. So yeah. that's just a really uh, one of the, the examples that I just really keenly remember. You know, do what is the future of the, of the natives? I mean, it, can oh. they be helped? Like, because I think there's intelligent debate on both sides, other than racism and things like that. That right. say, how do you help a population? So, is it possible to help a population that's been demolished? I mean, yes. So e- even the way you talk about it, like how you just said, how is it helpful to help the natives? What, no, not how is it helpful. I'm saying, how, how is it possible? How is it possible to help yeah. the natives? Yeah. Doesn't that sound weird? N- not to me. Hey, no, wh- wh- <laughs> okay, so um. That, that, I, I, Matt, I have a question. How do I help the women? Yeah. Just right. the women. Do you have any idea? Yeah. Or you know the blacks, those mm-hmm. blacks. How do I help them? Mm-hmm. That's, that's that, if I put it in a different context, it's, it's just weird, right? Mm-hmm. So you can say, hey, you know, how do Native people need helpers? And Indian country is like as vibrant and as kind of colorful as any time in history. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not any time in history, but right now, like there's so many things going on. It's like cultural re- revitalization and like, um, a lot of the tribes around here have uh, casinos, you know, and you think, oh, well, they get casino money. No, that's not that's not it. They invest so much of that, so much of those millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into tribal infrastructure, into like education programs, into like college, and all kinds of like social services programs that are really helping Indian country, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's there's this, this saying, it's um, uh, although uh, we've gone through historical trauma, there's also a... Uh, um, uh, a burgeoning historical resilience, you know, and if you really kind of get into it, it's like, holy shit, so much has happened to Indian country as a whole and different tribes and specific things, so many abuses, so many just injustices. And for, for us to even be here still mm-hmm. is such almost, I don't want to say a miracle, that sounds corny, but it's such a testament to the, like that historical resilience, you know? And I find that in so many spiritual practices that I've been able to kind of like, I don't know, integrate into my self, I guess, like, you know, like sweat lodge ceremony, using different medicines. When I say medicines like tobacco and sage and all these things, it's just like, I feel closer to God than I have ever felt going to any church going to any organized religion. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is kind of like an innate spirituality, you know, like I was talking before, like nature and nurture. It's like an innate spirituality that blends nature and nurture just so close and so much. Like one of my favorite things is like sitting with elders, um, native elders from different tribes around here and just like 
learning and just listening because it's like, holy shit, so much like wisdom is there. You know, they could be tribal or non-tribal, you know, people can be wise, but just like the 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 depth and intensity of like, man, you know, and uh, I can get into like crazy weird things, you know, that a lot of people, at least I, I wouldn't even have understood it 10 years ago. Like mm-hmm. that's stupid. What? You know, I'm talking about spirituality and how everything has spirit and just like, it's so, it's so concurrent with like my version of God that I kind of always knew was there, but really the church didn't teach so much about, you know, because it was like, oh, that's, that's trippy spirituality. You need to have this and this and vertical. And it's like, man, it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's much more gray than I ever imagined. And in that gray, I feel so closer to, you know, creator. So you're hopeful for that population? Yeah. And then infinitely hopeful. And how does it, uh, let's just say then, I mean, so the blacks, as you call them. uh, (laughs) That was just an example. I know, but with the historical trauma there, that's not that different with just slavery and stuff, right? What's the differences and parallels in in those two populations? There's many many parallels um, and there's many differences. One difference is like, well, um, okay, so you can even think about, um, so slaves... Africans were imported to this country, right? And, you know, different Caribbean countries and stuff like that. They were taken from the land. The land wasn't taken from them. Mm-hmm. And like many native people believe that like there's, there's this, this like unbreakable connection to the land because it came from the land, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's talking about Mother Earth or, you know, all kinds of different creation stories. So there's one immediate inherent difference. It's like taken from the land, or the land taken from them and then you move, mm-hmm. right? And there's, I don't know, I don't have all my thoughts together on that. I've written about it a lot. Um, and then um, think about, so historical trauma with at least uh, indigenous people of our country, of the United States, is like 500, 600 years old, right? And the African-American population, that's from... When when did when did slavery first begin? I don't know. Seventeen hundred. Sixteen, seventeen, whatever. You know, or, or or well, how about this? More more recently, I don't know. Eighteen hundred. So there's there's two hundred years versus six hundred years mm-hmm. of stuff, and you can I mean you can see it. There's so many disparities between the uh, my, uh, black community and just the mainstream community. But the thing um, in Indian country is like um, being the smallest minority group of the entire country. We represent the highest numbers of all these maladaptive reactions, right? So how can you take the smallest number of people and go, oh yeah, you know, those those, those 10 people have the highest uh, uh, rates of suicide, you know, mm-hmm. versus, I don't know, you know, you could take all kinds of sample sizes and all this stuff, but, you know, there's just something there. It's like taking the smallest group of people and, and dumping on them, well, they have the highest of everything. Diabetes, all the bad suicide, stuff. sexual abuse, you know, uh, you know uh, early death rates for uh, native uh, males, 18 to 25 you know, it's like, it's crazy. And when you really get in the stats, it's like, oh my gosh, how, how can, <laughs> well, it's not like, yeah, I mean, it's not like you could say, well, they're, you know, they're bad people and they, each one of them always chooses bad. And right. that's, that's why they're that way. That, that can't exactly. be the answer. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, there, there are reasons yeah. for these things. You know, if your wife died, you're going to, you're going to see that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to present with certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Now think if your wife died and your mom died and your grandma died and your great grandma died. Oh yeah. And on top of that, a while back, you were forcefully removed mm-hmm. from your house right. and All right. you don't but trust then, But here's where people lose you though. They go, yeah, sure. That's fine. But my kids. Now, 
I'm the, the problem with that is I'm the parent of my kids. So exactly. I'm that person. So you and now are I'm the person. parent of those kids. So right. you say, but that's different. They're, those kids are separate or the grandkids of, but right. of course we know that in so, how families work. So and, in a collectivist culture, which is native culture, it's collectivist mm-hmm. society, much like, you know, Hispanic or, you know, other, uh, I don't know, South Americans or Asians too. Um, collectivist cultures, no, individualistic cultures, European Americans can go, yeah, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. You know, d- yeah, I, I went to school. I worked hard. I kicked ass. Yeah, I did it. So you're taking individualistic views and putting them on top of a collectivist culture and go, yeah, my mom was a drunk all day. I had to take care of my, uh, you know, two little siblings. And uh, oh, yeah, we didn't have any money either. So I had to do that. So mm-hmm. um, you expect me to go to college? What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just pull the, it's this one over here. Just pull the, power out of it sorry um so yeah we're probably going over time no that's okay yeah we'll go a few more minutes but the um the the thing about it is i saw it on a graph the other day so if you just look at that people that the black culture like this if you look at the whole timeline they've from beginning of slavery until they had civil rights in the 50s and 60s right that's you know two or three hundred years that only the last few have been even close to on, not even on equal footing, of course. I mean, right. just, but the direct oppression is all there's been for a ton of time. And it's right. only just a tiny, it's not only a couple of generations where it isn't that. Like yeah. people now's grandparents were harmed and oppressed during, before they had civil rights. Yeah. Like your grandpa. Right. So it's not even. It's, yeah, it's insane. Well, well, see, it's same, insane to, to not be able to grant what damage that is to a, to a people. <laughs> it's pe- pe- insane. People don't people don't understand it, and especially again, being a family therapist and looking at it through systems, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, if this abuse happened to so and so, and then it you know kind of like residually happened to you know my mom, and then you know of course I'm going to feel the effects of that. And like one thing I didn't talk about is like um, uh, during the. Uh, so the, so the U.S. government, the, the government relationship with Indian people here um, are... And it's okay it, to say Indian? Indian, Native. First Peoples is... Uh, it, it, I don't, I'm not really concerned about it. It's like some of the, some of the older, older Natives uh, prefer like uh, Indian, you know, because now it's, you know, kind of progressed like, oh, Native, Native American, First Peoples. There's a million different names, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really think it matters. Um, uh you kind of broke me on my train of thought there. Uh, you were saying something about the U.S. government did. Something. Oh, right. Uh, forced removal, hmm. genocide, trail of tears, all kinds of stuff. You know, there's Smallpox blankets. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, what if somebody some wrapped of the worst your little baby in a smallpox blanket? What if an army general I, wrapped your baby in a smallpox blanket and she didn't die? <sighs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Would you ever like trust anything it's the some, government it's ever said It's kind of amazing again? that they're not terrorists to us. Like That's how that's you make a, terrorists, right? That's a really right? good point. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing you know, in the Middle East? creating terrorists with all, yep. you know, so whatever. Um, that's a really good point. I've never thought of it that way. Um, uh, forced removal. So uh, Catholic boarding schools, there was, you know, there's a saying that the U.S. Army had about Indians in like, I think, 1840s to 1860s. Kill the Indian, save the man. Mm-hmm. So what they want, what the what the government wanted to do was assimilate all, assimilate, yeah. assimilate all natives, you know, okay, do this white, do this white, and I'm not saying right, do it in the white way, not, you know, kill the Indian, save the man, right? Uh-huh. Um, so there was forced removal, thousands and thousands and thousands of Indian children removed from their homes forcefully. And this was like 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, forced removal. So taking your kids... 
forced rem- removing them forcefully and taking them to a boarding school away. So thinking you're helping them, thinking that you're helping them, right? Under the Golly. guise of like, okay, we're helping them, right? Tell me you're not going to hate everything that's not, you know, native, right? Yeah. Tell me you're not going to be ashamed of who you are. You know, tell me you're not going to like go to drugs or alcohol or anything. So when these when these young people were in these boarding schools, there was massive uh, amounts of sexual abuse physical abuse they mm-hmm. couldn't speak their language they cut their hair everything so boom stripped stripped Matt Carter of who he thought he was everything yeah. changed him and the worst thing that you thought possible is exactly what you were trying to be made into right yeah and then there's whole residual effects of that so when you're in a boarding school away from your culture and parents you don't learn how to parent yeah you don't learn how to be you don't learn how to do anything right yeah. and then you come home then you have kids right you know after being doing. sexually abused physical abuse all this stuff you don't know what the hell you're doing. And that is a lot of what we see right now with all these. So this is a, a really interesting story. So Melanie's great-grandpa, right? She, mm-hmm. She's native on her dad's side. Um, Melanie, my wife for the Stronger Marriages podcast, um, her great-grandpa was forcefully removed from his land up in uh, uh, Chippewa, up in Minnesota, right? Uh-huh. Made them go down to Nebraska. He escaped. He was like eight years old escaped Nebraska in winter with his buddy, who was also eight. So Mariner, my kid, escaped, and they walked the train tracks like, I don't know, a couple hundred miles, got caught, took them back to Nebraska, then they escaped again, walked from Nebraska all the way to Minnesota. Can you believe that? Your eight-year-old kid doing that escaped boarding school. Do you think that there's going to be residual effects from that? Of yeah. course there is, you know? So just that whole story. And like I tell that story, it's like, that's somebody you know. Yeah. That's Melanie, your friend, yeah. her family, that happened to her. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, that's insane. So like, put it, put it in context, coming from my family, first one to graduate high school, not like, I'm not unemployed, I'm not drunk, not super drunk. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. it's we're, we're breaking out of it, you know? So like sharing the, and experiencing the positive aspects of Native culture is something that has enriched my life infinite, you know? And hopefully our, our, children too yeah so that's part of it yeah that's a weird thing i mean do, do you you know do you it's got to be one of the hardest issues to talk to people about because nobody it's just one of the most i just think it's weird it's one of the most oppressed devastated people that don't ever get any press is there a reason for that like jews tons muslims tons right black people tons like there's Great. I mean, it, genocides it, all over the world. Well, we'll you think, hear, think, but think this about, is one you just just don't hear much. Right. Like, and they don't make a lot of noise. Or I don't. I don't even know what it is. I mean, I'm probably say no. There's racist like stuff to even try to talk about. I don't even know. But. No, there's peaceful resistance. But think about um. So even the Dakota Access Pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. The city Bismarck, uh, which is predominantly European white, um, they vetoed it going through their land, right? Because of fear of like contaminated water and oil spills and death. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what does it do? Oh, we'll move a couple hundred miles south onto an Indian reservation. No problem. They won't care down there. And it's just ridiculous. So they're like digging up graves. Like imagine, I saw this one meme or something. Like imagine if, you know, we wanted to build a pipeline and wanted to dig up Arlington National Cemetery. People would lose their shit. Mm -hmm. Insane, right? Yeah. But with Native people, it's just like, I don't know. There's still residual stuff of like, they don't. They don't care. We can, you know, take their land, do this. So this just like, and it's. Is really, it not in their culture to even make noise about it? Is that part of? Oh no, no. There's like, I mean, there's different warrior societies. In fact, like warrior culture. Like, have you have you seen any of the Dakota Access Pipeline stuff? Not I've had really. tons I of friends. I'm not informed that, on it. Oh my gosh, you should. I've had tons of friends that have gone out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, been invited there myself, and like, 
just, I mean, they're, they're raising hell out there in a good way because it's like spirit led and like elder led, not something, you know, not like, you know, Mayday stuff. His, the problem I have, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak on it, but I, I feel like there's the people that know about that kind of thing. And then most people just go, who are you for? The oil companies or the natives? And then everybody just likes to weigh in on it on the good side. But I don't think they know what they're talking about. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so either. And that kind of goes back to like, you know, the more you know about something, then you can like, really speak cogently about it mm-hmm. and like not just like stupid left liberal like oh what um uh, it, it's it's not environment Pfft. right hate it you, you know right. what i'm saying so yeah. it's like you're not even thinking about it really yeah. you don't even know most people come to issues like that with zero possibility of thought right. so I, I, well, i'm like i said i'm not informed about it but right i know most people have minds are made up before fact number one comes in if, if you're yeah, pro pipeline or pro native on that yeah. issue you know yeah. it's just and the way you can it is. argue either yeah. way and it's just it's circular and it's stupid so yeah there's some of the stuff these days that's just not really possible to in, engage in on the big level or the soundbite level and that's why i think you know just talking like this is yeah. is interesting at least because it's just a little piece but it's a real piece like it's a circle all the way back what we we're talking about before you you Everything you just said sounds uh, cogent, which I don't think we've ever had that word cogent on the podcast before. I like it. Um, but everything you said sounds like you know what you're talking about. You have real experience with it. And it's just nobody could take the way you're coming across in a conversation as anything other than genuine. It doesn't sound like it's hmm. altered speech. It's like right. it's like the only thing the that... alternative facts? No, it's not. I mean, it's just saying it's not, it's <laughs> right. not t- even talking points. And I didn't even tell you we were going to talk about it. I mean, it's just talking to a person about a thing and then to get to overhear that or for me to hear it, right. it's just, okay, it's just reasonable. It's just you being reasonable with some experience and information you have. Right. And most of the forms of communication we get don't allow for the a time it takes just to get there. Yeah. We, we could do this for hours, but we're just, we're just yeah. not going to right now. So we're yeah. going to get out of here. But that that is the interesting thing is that we're not able, like what would it take to be informed about the Dakota Access Pipeline? Something. Follow them on Twitter. Well, I'm just saying I mean, it, that's, it that's takes some. It takes yeah. it takes something to to get informed. But at listening to a person that you trust is informed from another trusted person that you know how to frame the context. Nobody thinks we're up here doing propaganda, for instance, right? Right. Like I don't even know. I didn't even know what you thought about any of that stuff. And then if right. you're going to talk about it, it just it is what it is. And you're a person that we can say, okay, well, he knows more than I do about it, and I trust the conversation to not be false. Right. And I can tell by the way you or organized or not organized or natural that it must be genuinely sincere. And then I can put that in my own head. And now I, you know, that, that's a real piece of something that you could put in your head to get, to start to gain a perspective on a thing yeah. versus fact searching or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm rambling, but somebody said, but maybe it's like talking to a, talking to a real person about it and like just asking questions. But only you- if they're talking real is what I'm saying. Okay. Not if they're giving a speech. I don't buy it. Right. That's that's what I'm saying. You, if you prepared that speech for me, I would have said, "He's just espousing the position of these people to, for maximum effectiveness." Right. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the way that people talk that give you the clues and the context and the ability to listen to it. We're, and that used to work with that propositional speech, but there's some amount of it we're just over. It's been used or abused too much to where yeah. you can't really trust a speech yeah. anymore. But I feel like I can trust what you're saying now or just I don't have to trust it entirely. I can just take what I'm well, hearing just, you say. Just think about it. Like, oh, well, that one thing that Seth said, um, 
I'm gonna look that up. I'm just gonna, Google it. Yeah. You know, okay, what YouTube videos yeah, are out there? No what like documentaries or anything? Like but uh, somebody said this point, and I got I can't remember who it is because I would like to attribute stuff to people. I'll look it back up, and it's something I want to think about. But check this out. We have the internet now. We have the information superhighway. Right. But information is such a goofy small part of humans and human interaction. There's no, for instance, emotional superhighway alongside it. Or experiential superhighway. Right. So we've got so that's that's part of the reason we're in this mess we're in now is right. because we've got unbelievable access, profound access and turbocharged something part of the vehicle, the information part, but the emotional part and the experiential part and the connected part, we don't have some hyper transformative technology for that, right. for sharing those things. So it's out of balance, so really. It's is way what you're out of balance, yeah. right? And, that, and, and, and you can see it spinning all out of, out of whack with facts or alternative facts or truth. And, or and fake that, that only but enables it, it, people yeah. to go, I'm, I'm heading full bore yeah. left, I'm heading full bore right. Yeah. Wrong one. Right. But, but uh, anyway, I think conversation yeah. of people is, is very important. I'm not trying to say I'm important or this podcast is important, but oh. these, ty- those, these types of things are different. And I do, that's, that's why I'm attracted to it and like it and interested just to be able to have a conversation yeah. about you playing drums or natives or Indians. I can call them Indians now. It's nice to Either know. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool. Like, I, I know some songs and a bunch of hand drums. Mm-hmm. I've made a ton of hand drums and just like, yeah. And it's all it's all part of the spiritual, at least my spiritual experience mm-hmm. in it, you know? And it's like, we could talk about that That's forever. Awesome. But I remember you said one one thing uh, a long time ago. I think it was, you know, starting this podcast. is like, oh yeah, I'm starting a podcast and I'm going to talk about what I want to what talk I about, to, about yeah. things that I like. Yeah, so, there you go. Okay, here we go. There That's you awesome. Go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I like it. It's good. Yeah. But uh, we'll get it here. But Stronger Marriages podcast, you and Melanie are doing. Yes. I've produced it. I want everybody to go check that out. We didn't talk about it today, but no big deal. There's plenty out there about that. Go to strongermarriages.com forward slash podcast yep. um, or just find the Stronger Marriages podcast on iTunes. Seth and Melanie and I developed it together. It's a, a highly produced documentary style podcast. It's, yeah, it's a like 12 episode season and it launches next week, but there's a preview episode up today. It's about marriage and you're. You were on the Bad Christian podcast talking about the really bad stuff that went on in your marriage early on, and yeah. this podcast covers all of that. It covers talks, you know, domestic yeah. violence, female to male domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, lying, craziness, guns, uh, just just wild stuff, you know. So yeah. we, we really want people to um, go check it out, go download it, and uh, our hope is that it gives you hope because it's what we wish we had when we were going through just the the shits. Yeah, know? that that I wish that we had that. Um, we were met young married. Oh, geez. So, yeah, check it out. It's right. going to be a resource. So Cool. Thank you, Seth. Enjoyed it. Right on. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. 
lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference. All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.